Well, good morning, Door of Hope. Uh, why don't you turn in your Bibles to uh, Numbers chapter 11. Um, and as you're turning to Numbers chapter 11, I want to, I'm going to do something this morning that I, I don't usually do, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around Numbers 11 a little bit. Um, if, if you're familiar at all with, with Numbers chapter 11, you know that it covers a lot of ground, and uh, the story seems to shift from one topic to the next abruptly, uh, and it is all unified uh, in, a, in, a, in a way, and, and it's written that in, that in that sequence for a reason. Um, but of all the things that Numbers 11 covers, I'd, I want to hone in on one thing. So I'm going to read a couple of verses here, and, and, uh, and then I want to I talk, talk about why. Um, so Numbers 11, starting in verse 4, we're just going to read down to verse 6. And it says this. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong lusting or a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept. And again they said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt and that it cost us nothing. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. So chapter 11 begins with the Israelites complaining, and there's an act of judgment that takes place right, right then and there. And then they continue complaining. And uh, from verse 7 down to verse 17, Moses <laughs> uh, feels as if he's had enough, and he says to the Lord, listen, did, did I give birth to these people? Did I make, did I, I can't carry all of these people. I need some help. And so the Lord says, okay, elect 70 people, I'm going to put some of the spirit that is on you on them, and they will help you govern the people. And then the story picks up with this craving for meat in verse 18. So he's commanded, say to the people, verse 18, say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us when we were in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just for one day, or for two days, or for five days, or for ten days, or for twenty days. But for a whole month you will eat until the meat comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and you have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? So this story in Numbers 11 is, is, in my mind, it's coming kind of off the heels of what we're studying in the Burning Heart series uh, at, during the 6 p.m. here at, at Sunday night. We're going uh, through the story of Exodus, and we just, we just ended the narrative on the plagues. Uh, and the plagues, the, the plague narrative in, in, uh, in Egypt is, in the book of Exodus, is, is a... Um, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a, it's, a, it's an attention grabber, and there's things in that story that we do not like, and there's things that we question, uh, and that's, that's fine, I get that. Anytime that we come up against something in Scripture that we don't understand or struggle with or even dislike, it's an opportunity for, for us to humble ourselves and, and to learn something, and one of the things that really jumped out at me as we were teaching through that in the last few weeks um, is that the Lord is bringing a very real judgment to, to Egypt. You can't get away with enslaving an entire nation for 430 years and think that you're gonna get away scot-free. 
but what's amazing about that story, one of the things that's amazing about that story is how frequently the story is punctuated with these opportunities of grace. And, and that it goes on for so long. I mean, one way of looking at it is, oh, you know, 10 plagues, gee, whew, that's a lot, come on. But the thing, the thing is, yeah, 10, 10 plagues, 10 opportunities, time and time again, a chance to repent, a chance to listen, a chance to be obedient to what the Lord is saying. Uh, his grace and his patience are all over, all over that story. Uh, and then the people leave Israel, or the, people, the Israelites leave Egypt, and they go on a 40-year journey where the Lord is patient with them. And this story in the book of Numbers is, is one of these stories of where the Lord is patient, but also gives over to the consequence, uh, naturally, of, of actions. Uh, but in the story of, of the Israelites in Egyptian slavery, um, not only is there a judgment there, not only is, 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 is Egypt the focal point, but Numbers chapter 33 uh, says very clearly that the Lord also bring, he, he was bringing judgments onto the gods of Egypt, which can be a little bit confusing because there is only one true God. But what you see in the Egyptian story is that um, they, had, they, they, they had powers. The Egyptian magicians were doing some of the same miracles and plagues that, uh, that Moses was doing through the power of the Lord. And they eventually ran out of steam, um, but they were able to replicate a few. And I, I, there's real demonic power at play there. They really had a hold of something that was powerful. Um, but as powerful as they thought that they were, Yahweh was more powerful. And it's these, it's these, it's these, it's these false deities, it's these idols that Egypt were, was putting their hope in, their trust in, their future in, that the Lord was attacking simultaneously. There's a multifaceted reality going on here. Uh, and Numbers 33 says it, says it explicitly. He was bringing judgments on, on the gods. And the, so every, every plague that takes place in the Exodus isn't just random. We might say, well, like, why gnats? Why, did, why, is, why was there a, a plague of flies and a plague of locusts and a plague of frogs? Why are, they, are these just random creatures that the Lord is choosing? And the answer is, the answer is no. The Egyptians were polytheists. They believe in all sorts of, of different false gods. And each of them was represented typically by an animal. And namely, the, the first plague that took place was the Nile turning into blood. And so you see that, and, and on the surface level, it's like, well, that's, that's a bummer, but is there something deeper than that? And one of the things that the Lord was doing was he was, he was cutting down, he was, to use Elder Mel's phrase, he was taking the heat out of these idols. I like that. I like that phrase. What, the, the Egyptians, at the core, one of the core issues here is that the Egyptians were looking to something for help. They were looking to something to sustain their life. They were looking to water. They were looking to procreation. Pharaoh was thought of as a deity. They thought that Pharaoh was the son of the, of the sun god, Ra, and that Pharaoh's descendant would be a continuation of the hope of Egypt. They were looking to the son of Pharaoh to save them. That might sound familiar to you. I hope it does. But they were looking to the wrong son. They were looking to the water of the Nile, the life, the life source. Really, it was. The Nile River was the life source of Egypt in a physical, practical way, and the Lord turned it to blood. Get your eyes off the Nile. The life that it gives, the sustenance that it brings is temporary, 
Don't look to this, ultimately. And the next, the next plague, my personal favorite, I love this. And if you've been coming on Sunday nights, and this is a bit of a review, but it bears repeating. The second plague was the plague of frogs. And someone might say, why frogs? I said that, why frogs? You know, honestly, up until just recently, I just figured the Lord picked frogs. You know, why, why not? I think snapping turtles might have been more effective, but he chose frogs, that's great. But see, the thing about the frogs is that in Egyptian culture, and there, you, can, you can Google this, you can look it up, they've excavated large portions of, e of ancient Egypt, and there's all these carvings of a woman's body with a frog's head. The frog represented a goddess, a false, a false god that was named Heket, and she was the goddess of fertility or the goddess of midwifery, which is really interesting when you consider that Pharaoh was killing Israelite babies. And so what, what really, what, what has been gnawing away at me for the last few weeks in a really good way is, is that the Lord in his grace and in his mercy and in his beauty and in his omnipotence and in his, he, he knows everything and he's all powerful and he is very interested in drawing you away from things that are bringing you death and you don't realize it. And what I love about the frog plague and the Nile River plague is that he took the physical manifestation of a false god, a frog, and he made it a plague. The, this image that you worship, again, Google it, all over the place, a woman's body, a frog's head. They worshiped the head of the frog. That was the image of their, of their, of their fidelity, one of them. And the Lord took that very image and made it odious to the land of Egypt. He took the false idol and he made it a curse. And I love that. And that's what the Lord will do. The Lord will draw you away from lies. He will draw you away from falsehood. He'll draw you away from things that are slowly, perniciously, and inevitably killing you to draw you to him. And it's pretty fascinating. You know, he, he says several times throughout. I didn't write them down. I, I should have. How many times the Lord says during the uh, plague narratives, he said, Egypt will know that I am the Lord. He, he says it early on in, in chapter seven of Exodus. He, he says, Egypt will know that I am the Lord. And eventually, whenever the magicians are unable to replicate the plagues that the Lord is doing, the magicians of Egypt start to get it. They're unable to replicate the plague of the gnats. And they go to Pharaoh and they say, this is the finger of God. He has done this. They're starting to get it. And then in the Exodus, whenever Israel actually leaves the land of Egypt, it says in chapter 12 of Exodus that there is a mixed multitude that went with them. There is a number of people who watched 10 plagues go down and said, we're, we're, we're out of here. Whatever, whoever the, it is the Israelites are worshiping, we're going with them. And those people caused trouble throughout the wilderness wanderings just like everybody else does, but they left, they left with, they left with Israel. Um, I love that. I love that. I don't know if you have any experience with this. I have lots of experience with lusting after something, wanting it so, so badly, thinking. And it's, the thing is, is that, is, you know, there's nothing in our, 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 verse, our verses here, Numbers chapter 11, there's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with wanting to eat meat. I prefer it. I'm a big fan of it. But it's when our, it's when our lusts dictate what we do when they're the guidepost of our life. There is nothing wrong with the Nile River and there's nothing wrong with frogs and there's certainly nothing wrong with midwives. Angie and I had a midwife help deliver Ella. I say help because Angie really, you know, Angie did it. 
Um, I'm a big fan of midwives. There's nothing wrong. But, but their, their life purpose, where their souls rested, when they got up in the morning and they looked out at the sun and they thought, I am okay today and I'm okay for all of eternity, that sort of rest, that sort of trust was resting on a lie. And the Lord revealed it. He revealed it dramatically and he revealed it publicly. He made it very well known. Pharaoh has no real power. The Nile River, blessing as it may be, only gives you water. Frogs, some of them are cute, some of them are poisonous, but they're certainly not a god. I'm not really sure what was up with the gnats, but you know, the Egyptians were very, very creative. One by one, he, he took the heat away from the idols. He eviscerated them. He revealed them to be the false deities that they actually are, hopeless, lifeless, unable to save. The only real power that those idols had was the power to deceive. That was it. And the Lord revealed that while also executing a judgment, while also giving mercies, and while also bringing people to him. A mixed multitude left with the Israelites. It's an incredible story. But the fact of the matter is, and where I, where I, where I wanted to bring that, the, the Exodus narrative into the, into the book of Numbers, is that the same, the, the same is true for those who are walking with the Lord. The Lord used the plagues to get the Israelites out of Egypt to manifest his power, to manifest his judgments, to manifest his justice, to manifest his mercy, all simultaneously. It's brilliant, it's a brilliant work. But he, he was also drawing people to himself. But even if you, well, let me back up a second. If you're here this morning, and like many, many, many people, if the last three years especially have taken the heat out of some of your hopes and expectations, if you've been politically motivated for some time, resting your hope on a, a certain man or woman who's in office, you might be a little disfranchised at this point. Democrat or Republican, whatever you are, it does not matter and I do not care. If you're looking at the political landscape, there's good reason to be a little uncertain of pretty much everything. If social justice has been, has been your bend, if, 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 if community cohesion has been your, your thing, motherhood, fatherhood, relationships, financial success, whatever, whatever it might be, the last few years have been rough in every, in every arena. And I'm actually kind of thankful for it because when the Nile turns to blood and the frogs are inordinately populating the land and everything's in chaos, we start looking around going, we need something else. And I would say we, we need someone else. And if you're here this morning trying church for the first time, welcome. We're happy you're here. We worship Jesus. We believe that he fixes everything. He is the bread that came down from heaven that gives sustenance forever. He is the one true God. Not the Nile River, not the frogs, not the gnats, not Hiket, not the goddess of midwifery. Jesus is the one true God. There's no other name given to men and women that's among, under heaven and given to men and women by which you must be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you put your faith and trust in him, you are saved for eternity and you will spend the rest of your life finding out the depths of what that means. That's, <laughs> that's why we gather here. We are a people of hope and we're, we're walking with the Lord day by day. And if you're walking with the Lord, and maybe you have been for some time, the last three years have been, have been in no way any less crazy for you or weird for you. 
And what I want to offer this morning is, is a reassessment of, of, of where we're at and a reminding that God's gifts are not, pro- are not problems, but we can turn them into problems. We can put too much hope in them. We can put too much trust in them, too much faith in them, too much expectancy. And when that happens, we can forget about the good God who gave them to us to begin with. And that's what we have here in Numbers chapter 4. Um, Again, so, or excuse me, Numbers 11, verse 4. <laughs> now, there was a rabble among them. Most people, most commentators believe that the rabble in chapter 11, verse 4, is the, the mixed multitude from, from Exodus. And it's probably true, but here they are. They're traveling with the Israelites. There was a rabble among them, and they started to have a strong lusting or a strong craving. That's not necessarily the problem. It can become a problem. But they started having a craving and they didn't pray about it, they protested. They got mad. The people of Israel also wept and they said, oh, that we had meat to eat. Remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. You know, one of the biggest problems that we have as believers, one of the the most, um, I think, fundamental and commonplace mistakes that we make is that we start thinking wrongly. We start remembering wrongly. The book of Exodus makes it very clear that slavery in Egypt was no picnic. It was awful. The book begins with the powers that be taking away the Israelites' straw. So they had to make bricks. They had to make the same number of bricks, but they had to go find their own straw. It was evil. It was vindictive. It was cruel. And yet, not too long later, the people have been set free from Egyptian slavery They're being given manna from above every single day, free food from heaven. And Psalm 78 says that manna, whatever exactly it was, was is angel's food. Psalm 78, 25, I believe. It was angel's food. They were getting for free every day, but they look back to their bondage. They look back to their slavery. They forget where they came from. They forget the good God that saved them. And they, they make the mistake of, of saying, oh, when we were in Egypt, we had fish that cost us nothing. Yeah, except your entire lives. And I, we do this in our own ways. We, f- we forget what God has brought us from. We forget how good he is. We, here's, here's, I think, the thing. We look at the last three years, or however many, something happens in our lives that we didn't see coming. I mean, I, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many people are experiencing right now something that has occurred and we're like, I didn't see that coming and this is awful. And it's very tempting in those moments to look up and say, oh, it was better, it was better when. It was better back then. It was better before, before you, Lord. That's really, what, that's really what they're getting, that's the heart of what they're getting at here. Let's read on. So, what we ate in Egypt cost us nothing. It's a lie. I think that they might have even believed it, but it's a lie. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Does that not sometimes feel like the human experience? Our strength is dried up. Things aren't working out the way that I hoped for. Things aren't working out the way that I expected. You know, I don't, I don't need to give any more examples. I've, I've, I think I've pretty much run you guys through the, 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 from the day I was born until I turned 28. Like, I think you all have heard it on repeat, you know. Um, but 
I gave my 20s over to fighting with the Lord because things didn't go the way that I had hoped. I had a 10-year plan, and it involved living overseas with a different group of people, a different girl, a different life, and the Lord squashed it. And, I was, and he squashed it out of love because I wasn't just trying to move out of the country with a group of friends. I was trying to find a meaning to live. I was trying to find a reason for even drawing breath in the morning. And I was giving my allegiance over to idols, things that are temporary, things that give you no lasting permanence at all. I, was set, I, was, I set my hope on a false deity, and the Lord in his mercy called me away from those things. And I felt dried up. I wasn't, not at all, but I felt that way. And maybe you can relate to that this morning. So they're crying out for me. Things aren't going the way that they thought. We're out of Egypt, but great, now we're in the wilderness. How many times do they say, you brought us out here to die? Is it because there was no tombstones in Egypt that you brought us out here? I mean, they're fighting with the Lord every step of the way, and he's patiently enduring that with them and still leading them. But man, they make life hard on themselves. And so the Lord says, says to Moses, he says, tell the people, verse 18, say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? It was better for us when we were in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat to eat, and you shall eat. But not just for one day or two days or five or ten or twenty, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come out of Egypt? Um... The desires that they have, the expectations that they have, you know, in one sense, they're fine. But when those, when, those, when those desires, when those cravings, whenever those appetites start to become the very thing by which we dictate our lives, and because those things aren't working out, we turn our back against God. That's where the problem comes in. The craving in and of themselves, not, not, not inherently wrong. Desires, not inherently wrong. Wanting to put butter on your bread, not inherently wrong. Meat, not inherently wrong. But marriage, not inherently wrong. Uh, uh, success in business, not inherently wrong. Wanting financial stability, not inherently wrong. Wanting the disease to go away, not inherently wrong. Wanting the disease to never come, never to come upon your doorstep at all. Those things are not inherently wrong, but when those things happen, when the desire is not satisfied or when the thing that you were trying to avoid manifests becomes the most real thing in your lived experience, what do we do with that? The mistake that Israel is making here is that they're rejecting the Lord because of circumstances. That's, that's what's going on here. It was better for us when we were in Egypt. Are you kidding me? It's a delusion. It was better for us when the only thing we had to look forward to was retirement and uh, number of years of er on earth and then the grave it was better when you before you had interfered has anybody felt that way i felt that way and we need to repent of that because the lord is so good and we don't we, we we don't see it all the time we don't get it all the time and the circumstances surrounding us the last three years plenty of evidence in the last three years to be nervous and to be scared but is the answer to turn away from the Lord and to offer your allegiance elsewhere. Following Jesus is, is difficult. 
It's the most amazing adventure for all of eternity. But it is hard. You know, in John 6, Jesus, Jesus gives bread. He gives bread for free. And it's funny because here in the Old Testament, the Israelites are mad about it. The bread's not good enough. But in the New Testament, here is God in human flesh with the Israelite people, and they're saying, oh, you need to do for us what the Lord did back in the Old Testament. And I'm sure in the back of Jesus' mind, he was like, you guys didn't like it when I did that. You're impossible to satisfy. There is nothing corporeal that can satisfy. There is not enough there is not enough food, there is not enough drink, there's not enough sex or fame or anything else to satisfy. And even if you got remotely close, in a few short years, you will be dead and it will not matter. Jesus said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven that will never fail you. And you know what most of the people did when he said that? John six sixty six, they left. They turned their back on him and they left. It's a tragedy. Now, I don't know those, those people's stories. They very well may have come back to Jesus later. His grace is new every morning. That could have happened. But I'm talking about today. And, you know, I've been, I, struggled, I struggled all week with this message because I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to say, but I knew that I wanted to say something about this and the the closer and closer that it's come to go time which I'm in the middle of right now what I really what I really want to drive home with this with this text is to it's what is spoken in the book of Revelation return to your first love I have nothing but empathy and compassion for the fact that life is hard in Christianity Jesus does, does not he doesn't negate that. He doesn't blow over it. He is the God who wept. He's the God who bled. He's the God who came down to save you. But with the mistake that these people are making is that they're, they're, they're complaining about free food in Egypt when that food was given to them by necessity to keep, because dead slaves were no good to Egypt. So they, get, they fed them because they had to. But now God is giving them free manna every morning for real free food and they're complaining. And the last three years have been a really great opportunity for us to complain. And I'm not saying that's you, and I'm, I have been whining worse than my one-year-old daughter for the last three years about all sorts of stuff, and I have to repent. I have to remember who is in charge. I have to remember where true sustenance comes from. Whenever I get up first thing in the morning and I look out on the horizon and I see that sunrise, what do, where do I put my trust? Where do I put my hope? Where do I put my allegiance and my obedience? The resurrected Christ. One of the, I think one of the reasons why this message is difficult is because in, in one sense it's very precise. Jesus is king. Give your life to him and trust him through all of the years in the wilderness. And it's also very broad because each one of you is on a wilderness wandering in one sense very much on your own. Your experience is not my experience. What you're going through is not what I'm going through. But we're also together. We're also here together. And so I, I think the only thing that I want to say this morning, we can get distracted by so many things. We can, get, we can give our allegiance to so many things. Come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus today. Come back to Jesus this morning. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, put your faith in Jesus today. If you're a 70-year veteran, remember that his grace is new every morning and 
Remind yourself to put your faith in him today. Not in, not in the meat that he provides, the manna that he provides, the Nile River. As good as those things are, those things cannot save us. Those things cannot direct us. Those things are gifts. They're not the gift giver. And if it's, and if it's, requi- if it's, a, if it's a must, if somebody's going through something right now that's painful, if something is being taken away, if something is, is it, maybe it's within or outside your control, something that you've been idolizing is becoming loathsome to you, ask the Lord what he's trying to show you. Ask the Lord, where, where are my idols here? They asked for meat in Numbers chapter 11. And the Lord said, oh, I'll give you meat. Take you out of Egypt. By the way, they got paid before they left. The Lord said, ask the Egyptians for all their silver and gold before you leave, and the Egyptians gave it to him. I'm with you. He brought water out of the rock. He brought manna from the sky, and they complained, and they complained, and they complained. And he said, I'll give, okay, I'll give you meat. I've, give, I've, I've done a lot, but I'll, okay, I'll give you meat. I'll give you so much that you're going to realize that meat's not really what you want. Friends, did you, can you, can, do you understand that? I will, I will give you this thing so that you realize it's not what you really want. That is a brilliant mercy. So much of it that it will become loathsome to you because here's the thing. It becoming loathsome to them right then and there on the spot, he gave them so much that, and then he actually brings a judgment. The end of the story is while it was still in their teeth, he brought forth a plague because their hearts were hard against him. He gave them so much quail that they realized this isn't really, this isn't really what I want. So maybe I'll, I'll end with a question this morning. Jesus is everything. Jesus is God. He's your brother. He's your father. He's your king. He is your friend. And following him is not only an adventure, but it's, it's guaranteed safety because we're working from victory, his victory. Death has been, has been devoured, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. It's demolished. Its sting is gone. We have life abundantly, an inheritance waiting for us. He calls us out of the Egypt, not of, not of, not of temporal slavery, but the, the eternal slavery of death. He calls us out of that by putting himself on the cross. That proves that he's powerful and that he's trustworthy. So if, if, if you are going through an experience right now, and this may not be everybody, but if you're experiencing something right now that you've been working for and it's crumbling and you're freaking out about it, that may mean, that may mean a whole litany of things that I can't even imagine off the top of my head. But offer up the idols that it's revealing in your heart. Offer up the idols that it's revealing. Offer, offer up the, the things that you have been leaning on for sustenance and for purpose and, and give that allegiance to Jesus and recognize, my goodness, what a blessing it is. You know, that, that trip I talked about to Ireland, I've said this a thousand times, I'll say it a thousand more. That plane took off without me 15 years ago. And it was so heart-wrenching when it happened. I wanted to be on that plane more than anything in the world. I wanted to move to Ireland. I wanted to start a farm with my friends. I wanted to eat a bunch of potatoes and drink Guinness. None of it happened because the Lord was calling me to stay here and to, come, and to meet with him. And I am so thankful. The idols were, were recognized, some of them. I still got a long ways to go, but some of them were realized. 
and I turn to the Lord. May we do that again this morning in trust and in faith and to offer up whatever idols it is that he reveals in our hearts. Amen.